Welcome to the second viewing with Love Wins Every Time. I'm Dan. I'm Kyle. Shaka bra. Today on the podcast, we have 2015's Straight Outta Compton. Daniel, where should we go from here? Before we get started, I think we should talk a little bit about the music. Do we like the music? How do you feel about the music, Kyle? Honestly, like, I do enjoy a lot of NWA, Dr. Dre, uh, Ice Cube, like, that gangster rap movement, but I wouldn't consider myself a huge fan. Where did, I, it, where did it start for you as far as that gangster rap for was me, concerned? It'd probably be The Chronic, I guess. That's probably the first record I heard out of that style of music. I didn't yeah. hear about NWA exactly until later on. I knew about them before this film, but... Um, yeah, I'm the same way. 2001 for me. 2001 for yeah. you? Okay. Yeah. So that was just, the, I guess, the first Chronic for me. I didn't hear 2001 until a couple years later, honestly. Maybe yeah. even with you. I think you might have showed it to me, truthfully. Um, or I heard this track with Eminem. What's that called again? Forgot about Dre? Is that the one? Yeah, I forgot about Dre. Yeah. yeah. I knew of that song, but I didn't know like what record it was on or really in fact yeah. I thought it was an Eminem track, honestly, for years. Yeah. <laughs> really? I don't know. But I just remember the, I remember the music video being kind of like heavily in like Eminem's perspective. So mm-hmm. but um anyways, yeah, so the chronic, great record. Uh I knew Ice Cube, but I didn't know like his discography very well, nor did I really know a lot about Eze. I knew of him when I found about NWA, but Right. So like going sele- in, going selective into, songs, pretty going much. Going into this, I knew who they were. I knew their like, cultural importance in terms of like culture in general and pop culture and, you know, gangster rap, music, all that jazz. But, um, yeah, I guess I consider myself a fan, but not a huge fan. Right. I appreciated their stuff, for sure. What about yourself? I'd say I'm a huge fan of certain albums, 2001 being one. Right. Um, and then some individual songs. But, yeah, I guess... As far as the music is concerned, I uh, really respect the culture more than anything. Yeah, and I think in this film, it comes off pretty strong how much of an impact that style of music and like that kind of pure emotion and um, response to what was going on in the community and around them, like how much of an impact that made. Yeah. And I think that's like, I mean, there's a lot of different genres out there of music that have made an impact. And I think we would agree and a lot of others would with us saying that music can really like change lives and make it large impact and you know start movements this is similar to film similar to any kind of art right and i I think like you know their style of gangster rap sort of pushed gangster rap as a whole to a different level it became more vulgar more outspoken more honest you know people were less afraid to say what they meant yeah and i think freedom freedom of speech comes up quite a lot in this film Mm -hmm. Um, just essentially saying like, I have the right to really voice my, my opinion, my views, you know, what I want to talk about, how I want to talk about it. Yeah, which in the States is the first amendment. First, first amendment. amendment. Yeah. Yeah. Over, over here, we don't have amendments. So what do we really know? Okay. <laughs> Nothing, I guess. But, uh, no, I, th- <laughs> I think freedom of speech in terms of, you know, not being afraid to speak your mind, not being afraid to voice your own opinion and kind of take your own art your own creativity in your own hands and just kind of put it to paper in terms of these guys you know like they're taking first-hand experiences they're you know just basically seeing what they have seen on a day-to-day basis and turning it into a way a form of catharsis for themselves but also a form of catharsis for people in the community people who understand what they're going through and have seen what they've seen yeah it's kind of just they're they're venting their situation pretty much putting it into like a you know an artful it's earnest though, right? Yeah. It's very, it's from the heart. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Definitely. And, um, yeah. So essentially this film, uh, is a biopic about the, 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 the beginnings of NWA, uh, Eazy-E, right. Dr. And Dre, Ice Cube, MC Ren, and DJ Yella. Yeah. Also DJ Yella, MC Ren don't get nearly as enough love as the other two, three guys do. True. Especially in this film, which I think we'll get to a little yeah. bit later, but. Well, DJ Yella got a little bit towards the end, but MC Ren not was so kind of just around. Yeah. You know, he didn't really have any... Well, we'll get into that now, maybe. Yeah. Like, this film uh, mainly focuses on... Ice Cube. Ice Cube, Dr. Dre, and I would consider Easy e as the main character of this film. Yeah. I, I, I would agree to, with that. Yeah, so it starts back in 1986. Um, just some of, the, some of the main cast is still in high school. And, um, or main character, sorry, still in high school, and others are out of high school, kind of just trying to find their feet. Yeah, Ice Cube is still in high school, right? Yeah. I th- oh, I think that's it, right? Him? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think just Cube. So, you know, Dre's kind of starting to make his way as being like a local disc jockey and kind of, you know, he's yeah. he's making big team here and there, listening to, listen to records. Yeah, and he's got a, you know, he's got a kid, he's living with his mom, he's got a girlfriend, and uh, he's trying to 
trying to get a job to please his mom, but really doesn't want to, wants to focus on the music. And that's kind of how he's introduced. Right. He's trying to provide for a family, but also like be happy with his life. Yeah. Seems like it's quite a struggle for him. Um, Yeah. I think it's interesting to see these characters evolve kind of in like their own arcs. Like the, the way this film opens up is like really cool in my opinion, because each character kind of gets their own like five minute, like epilogue of how they are as a personality and how they come in to place in this film. Right. And, then, and where they are at that moment in the film. And where they meet each other, too. I think it's nice that they're all, they're all just friends from the community. They all yeah. kind of know each other through other people, or they've seen each other around, or you know maybe they you know, have hung yeah. out in exactly. other surroundings. And the first person that they introduce in the movie is Eazy-E, right? Right. And Eazy, well, the first scene is him getting out of his car, Opening, opening up a hubcap in a tire in the back of his car and pulling out some like a baggie or some kind. And he w- ends up walking to what essentially is like a dope house or a crack house or whatever you want to call it. He's trying to make some money. Yeah, he's trying to make some money. Yeah. He ends up getting hustled a little bit. There's an exchange of some words, some guns show up. And then before you know it, there's a massive uh police like so the police presence is known right away well there's a swat team there's yeah like, there's like, like a, a massive swat team in like a tank of sorts like, like what do they call it the batarang or something yeah, like they that like tear this house apart out of nowhere with like almost little to no like reason to do so yeah and it is a crack house but as far as i know this the police don't know that yeah um a little bit unnecessary here. Yeah, and I think what we were speaking about earlier about uh the music ref- reflecting their experiences and Historically, that time at that time in Compton, um, the police presence is very much uh, a direct representation of what those people were experiencing. Yeah. And the kind of racism and, you know, straight up just like disrespect for human people in general, like human beings is is really uh, at the forefront of this film. And it comes Mm -hmm. later where they create music directly on against the police and feeling that rage towards police. right and fi- yeah fight them f- f- from a different standpoint not from in the ghetto but from but like from a musical standpoint right and i think way. i think it's really cool to see um these artists like uh take take i guess like street mentality to the music industry yeah and when they find out in the film that you know they have a track called fuck the police which is getting like warnings by the FBI and is like not being taken very well by people outside of, I guess, communities that understand what that song is representing. Yeah. Outside of the ghetto, basically. Anywhere yeah. outside of, of, of what they refer to as the ghetto. So like, you know, Compton or yeah, Crenshaw, or, the, the areas that they focus in this film. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, I think that kind of shows how they're treating their art form in a very earnest way, like we were talking about. And like they're treating the music industry in the way they would treat the streets. So it's like, okay, the FBI are trying to get us for the, trying to like, hold us down for what we believe in. But, you know, we're going to take advantage of this. We're going to make a publicity stunt out of this. Yeah. And, you and know, fight back in a different way. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that kind of like, there's a scene where they essentially are told by the police that, you know, you guys can't play fuck the police at this show. It's not going to be allowed. See, I think that's an important scene, but I think we should save some of it for later. Fair enough, but I think that movie, I think that scene uh, is kind of the whole it encapsulates the whole film. Right. But you're right. We'll save that for later. I guess maybe what we should just kind of talk about is like the the cast of this film, and I think mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting to see these characters. That I mean, I guess if you're familiar with NWA or if you're familiar with Easy E or Dre and I guess like the rest of the gang, uh, you'll kind of have an idea of like how these people should look. And I think the casting is pretty smart. For this, yeah, for this I agree. Like, definitely a well-chosen cast as far as look and voice. Yeah, like throughout the movie. What really got me is mannerisms. Like, I think yeah. I think they got some actors that definitely like resembled uh, the real life p- people they're portraying. Like but the, the way they the way p- they move and the way they act and you know just speak, I think it's really really on point in terms of direction. I think exactly like when yeah. Snoop Dogg shows up later in the film. That was, obviously Snoop. Yeah. Like, yeah. I you do not have to introduce me. I knew that was Snoop Dogg. Like, yeah. it was that was really really cool for sure. Hmm. Um, I want to bring it back to the intro just for a quick second. I think when we were talking about how the music ref- reflects their sort of reality, I think when what they're showing in the introduction is like a little piece of what all those main characters' reality is. Right. And sort of it gives them, sort of shows their motivation to be a part of NWA. 
shows their motivation of being in the band or getting away from what they're in currently, which is, you know, maybe surrounded by drugs and violence and police brutality and, 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 uh, um, poverty. Right. You know, I like the way that these guys just kind of like fall into music. They fall into an art form. They fall, in, fall into a craft yeah, and that they was take their that passion. Yeah. Yeah. They fought, they take that passion and like use it as an escape and they go all in for it. They don't, they don't take any stops. They're like, you know, this is what we're doing. We're going to pile some money into this. And you know, this is a business venture for us. And like, we're not going to take the easy way out. We're going hard on this. Yeah. And it was apparent that they didn't question themselves the whole movie. Yeah. They were right? dedicated to it. They didn't question themselves. That was it. Yeah. No, they, they knew, they knew that they had talent. They knew that they, at the very least they had a shot in making this a real career or a real, a real thing. Yeah. Definitely. Exactly. And so essentially this film starts off with, uh, Dr. Dre asking Easy E to record a track with them when they decide to make some music, right? Mm-hmm. So they make a track. Uh, they s- decide to start a record label. I guess Easy E does, called Ruthless Records. Makes a record, and the community loves it. The mm-hmm. area surrounding them, like we were talking about, Compton, Crenshaw, that area, really gravitates towards it. And that's where we're introduced to a manager, brilliantly portrayed by Paul Giamatti, in my opinion, by the name of uh, J- Jerry Heller. Jerry Heller. He, he is a pretty uh, important character in this film, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Because he, he almost came across for a lot of the movie as Easy es sidekick in yeah. some way. Their, their relationship is pretty interesting throughout this film, especially in like the third act, I would say. I think things get definitely interesting. Uh, so yeah, you see Easy e kind of like disregard uh, Jerry at first. They're like, I, like, what do you want to do with yeah. me? Everyone loves this record. I did this. I did this on my own already. I don't need yeah. you. But then, Jerry got past a certain level of 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 uh, like he basically break broke down Easy E's wall. Got past that a little bit, and uh, and Easy E never looked back. He trusted him ever since. Never questioned him. Once. Yeah, I think they Not until yeah, the end of the movie. Anyway. They connected very well right off the bat. You're right, mm-hmm. and I think that seemed like it happened a little fast to me at, in regard to their first conversation. Right, but I mean overall, like. Jerry was showing results, right? So mm-hmm. the rest of the crew eventually was gravitating towards him, helping out yeah. with um, you know, getting their name out there. And and sort of just like how the show is progressing, they didn't spend too much time on a lot of topics because they needed to include so many different important aspects of the movie. Right. For example, Easy e passing away. For example, the show where the riot went down. Like, yeah. Like, like, they didn't showcase a lot of it, but I think it was... You know, it was important to get the whole picture. Well, the film crosses up just roughly 10 years of time. Right. So a lot does go down. It's not only in, like, music sense, but, like, these, these guys' lives, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it's cool to see their career progress and see their lives progress. And I think, I know we're, we're two guys who definitely enjoy music. We definitely know about NWA and, you know, other kinds of genres and music history. So I guess maybe we're kind of accustomed to these events already happening. But if you're a viewer just watching this for the first time and not really, like, you don't know any of this Yeah, stuff, not into the gangster rap scene or anything like that. I would say the pacing is done pretty well. Yeah. I, would, I, I think the pacing is probably one of the strongest points of this film because things definitely trans, transition very well from, yeah. from uh, episode to episode, pretty much. That being said, what would be the strongest points of this film in your opinion? What do you think? Yeah, well, like what we were talking about, I think the riot scene in... Uh, I can't remember what city it was in, but essentially they're told by the police that you guys can't sing Fuck the Police. They had released a song just shortly before the show, and it was getting like a very strong positive response by the community. And it happens after a very powerful scene when they're disrupted by police officers who are just essentially taking them to the ground for no reason because they're outside of a record studio. Yeah. Just mind their own business. And it gets to the point where their manager Jerry's there yelling at them, like standing up for them. Because, you know, they're being treated inhumanely. Yeah, it's illegal. They're, you know, they're speaking their minds. They obviously have freedom of speech and all that kind of stuff. So they write the song, Fuck the Police. It's a huge, huge jam for the community, huge jam for the country. It it makes them become, like, worldwide superstars, essentially. The rest of the country knows about them. Um, Funny side note, actually. Uh, My sister once got pulled over for speeding once. And while she got pulled over, Fuck the Police is playing in her car. Nice. So, there you go. That's great. (laughs) Shout out. So <laughs> shout out to Chris and Kimberly. Thanks. Anyways, so <laughs> like we were saying though, yeah. So I, what I'm trying to get to is the best part of this film. I would say that kind of like I was talking about encapsulates the majority of what NWA represented, and therefore I think 
represents the majority of this film, if not all the film, is that scene where they're told not to play the song. And their their best judgment was like, no, we wrote the song for a reason. The people respond to the song positively because, no, we're not saying every police officer is a piece of shit. But right now, they're right now what we're seeing on a day to day basis is a negative attribution on to the human condition. How we're living our lives is essentially yeah. being brought down by these authority figures. So we're gonna bring them down with the tool we have, and that's music, and that's creativity. And we're gonna we're gonna speak our voice, and we're gonna shove it in your face. We're gonna throw the finger up. We're gonna have a crowd of a thousand people chanting "fuck the police" because we can. Yeah, and you know, I think the the police telling NWA that they couldn't play that song was an example of why the NWA made the song in the first place. Exactly. Right? No, I completely agree with that. So it just reinforced their decision to play it even more. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure in that same scene, when the cops are walking away, as a group, they all say, fuck the police before they get up and go on stage. <laughs> Definitely. Well, and they're getting, they get arrested right after him. Yeah. And then there's, there's a shot with uh, fans or concert goers on the balcony throwing stuff at the police officers who are arresting NWA and they're yelling, fuck the police, because it's, like you said, it's an exact... Uh, representation of why they wrote that song. Yeah, and shortly after, Ice Cube is cruising around town, I think, right? And he's passing on the streets. You know, there's rioting in the streets. There's, right. There's a whole bunch of different shit going down. Well, People are yeah. upset. Well, that- around this time that NWA was, like, becoming notable and becoming a huge success, there was a lot of tension um, through uh, police brutality in the in those areas, not only when this film started, but in the early nineties, nineteen ninety one, particularly, there was huge LA riots going on in the in those communities, and I think NWA happened at the perfect time because they spoke from an honest, truthful place of those events occurring. Yeah, and you're right. There's a great shot where Ice Cube is just like going through his community. He's driving late at night, and he sees people, you know, looting, and there's fire, and it's you know. It's not a pretty shot. Police everywhere, aiming yeah. guns. You know, there's riot shields everywhere, pillaging going on. A little bit of everything, and I, yeah, I think because of that, it shows why there's a film being made about NWA, why they're important, why there is a narrative to be told about these yeah, guys. Yeah, because they they aided a revolution essentially. Yeah, a hundred percent, man. And I guess, like, that concert also would kind of be, like, the pinnacle of their success, I would say. Or the peak, probably. Yeah. And as, as a group. As like, a group, they all yeah. split off and did things differently and some more successful than others. But, yeah, you're right. As a group, that was definitely the, their pinnacle, I'd say. And I guess we can probably get into kind of what broke the group apart, which in this film they depict as essentially Ice Cube kind of noticing that Easy e and their manager, Jerry... Are kind of controlling, kind of like being the puppet masters of the business side of things in terms of Ruthless Records and NWA's financial standing. Right, but it seems like by the end of the movie, Easy e didn't know that that was going on. He just chose to trust Jerry right. over Ice Cube. Yeah, I would agree. And it, it's interesting because you kind of, you definitely get the idea that Jerry knows what he's doing. Yeah. I didn't necessarily feel like Jerry was an asshole for a majority of the film. I just felt like he connected with Easy e and chose to... I guess just kind of see like okay, Easy is the leader of the group, so he's the one who's gonna have to call the shots in this regard. Yeah, I mean that is kind of an asshole move, but I didn't quite see him as someone who was gonna screw over Easy. Well, I think you know as far as a business manager like that is concerned, it's probably easier to talk to one person yeah. to make the decision instead of an entire group of people to make the decision. I think you're right. Why make everything a group decision, kind of thing? But in terms of like music history, like. That's a huge reason why bands break up. Right. Money management. I mean, there's a lot. There's like, there's dozens and dozens of bands and groups who have broken up for the exact same reason. Mm-hmm. So basically, it was turning out that Easy was getting a larger cut of everything. He had control over all the royalties and whatnot. So Ice Cube yeah. was like, "Well, I'm trying to provide for my life. I want to. I have a family coming up here. Like, yeah, I need so this money." Ice Cube turned down because what? What was Jerry's reasoning? Do you remember Jerry's reasoning for? Give uh, handing Ice Cube the contract last. Everyone had signed the contract, yeah. remember, except for Ice Cube. And I think his reasoning was uh, he was viewed as sort of like a a loose stone, like a guy who could just get up and leave at any po- point. And okay. so they were afraid to sign him, afraid to give him yeah. the money, afraid to do that with him because they thought he might just get up and leave and go do something else. Well, he wasn't so what necessarily, did he do? He was a little apprehensive to join the group in the first place because he was actually part of another group before right. he 
kind of started NWA with the rest of the gang. Yeah. So I guess maybe that makes sense. But to be honest, that wasn't really alluded to a lot in the film. Mm-hmm. And he's offered a check by Jerry for like, what, $45,000? And he, Yeah, 45, yes, yeah. Or 75, 75. 70, yeah. And Ice Cube's like, uh, I know I deserve more money than that. We're selling out shows every single night. Like, yeah. There, I, I mean, I don't know the exact dollar amount, but I know there's more money into it than that. Yeah. Especially for, like, this is after Fuck the Police, this is after yeah. the, Straight Outta Compton. Like, he, they've and achieved he wrote high most success. of Easy Easy lyrics, right? For yeah. most of the songs. They at least co wrote for sure. Like, they're yeah. 50 50 on the, on the MC vibe for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Ice Cube leaves. He says, you know what? I have talent. I have, I know I have people around me that can make me a successful artist. So he decides to go solo. Yeah, he dishes the money, go solo. I think it's hilarious. That the record label they choose to go with is the same record label that owned the California Raisins. <laughs> I did not know that, and I think that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it worked out for them in the end because the same record label was able to give them like promotion that they needed and was able to have the resources. Especially that time and day, like record labels are were very different than they were now. Like the music industry is very different, but I guess it's kind of cool to see. Uh, or is very different now, but uh, it's cool to see kind of the, how the record industry worked in a way back then. Mm-hmm. And we kind of get a better glimpse of that with Ice Cube going solo and decides to kind of deal with the same record label. Right. But he kind of threw, that guy threw them over too, right? Yeah, that guy said, you know, there's not a lot of money in the solo stuff, but if the first album is a hit, then I'll make it up to you in the second album. Now, Cube shows back up after the second album, or after the first album was well, a he hit. Gained, he he and his hits second, it off. Like it gets yeah. the top 20 on the Billboard. Yeah, no, exactly. He's good on his own. It was America's Finest. But America yeah. with K's and three of them. Right. America, I think it was America's Finest. Something like that. And then I think he's either working on his second one or he's about to come out with his second one. And so he shows up to see the guy from records and he said, hey, the first one's a hit. Now, I bought a house based on what you told me, which was that you were going to make it up to me on the second album. So where's my money kind of thing? Right. And then he was like, honestly, I just can't help you out. And he's like, where's my money? Where's my money? I'm going on what you told me. You're making me sound like a thief for asking for something that you told me I was going to get that I deserve. That is my money kind of thing. And then Cube walks out in a bit of a rage, but he comes back a few <laughs> seconds later with a couple of boys and a baseball bat, and he starts tearing some shit Destroys out. that office. Destroys the it. fuck out of that office and says, get me my money. That's a basically. great scene. See, that's again yeah. what we're talking about, like how they brought kind of like... I guess maybe not necessarily street mentality, but how they essentially fended for themselves yeah. growing up or as young adults. And they brought that to the record industry and brought that to music. Yeah. It's almost like yeah. they were just used to used used to people taking advantage of them. Used to the t- cops taking advantage of them. Yeah, you know, used to the, the, the government taking advantage of them. And, and, uh, you know, when he came, <laughs> when he, when he came into the business world, he was expecting yeah. and waiting for someone to try, try and take no advantage difference. of him. There was no difference. He's like, well, so, if you're gonna if you're gonna do me wrong, well, so what you're gonna get. And I think yeah. I think that's interesting. They kind of they kind of gloss over it a little bit, but there is a little bit of uh, a journalist asking them, saying like, oh, you're you're glamorizing violence and whatnot, and this is how you're this is how you're kind of affecting the youth with what you what your message is perpetrating and whatnot. And their response is like, um, this isn't, we're not trying to glamorize anything. This is what we're used to. Yeah. This is, we're speaking, we're speaking from the heart at this yeah. point. I wake up and see this. Like, what do you wake up and see? And like, you see their, you see the parties they have, like their hotel parties. Like they just got like, it's <laughs> very, yeah. very street life, um, to the fullest, a lot of violence, a lot of, you know, using violence as a, me- a defense mechanism, that kind of thing. Yeah. And use, yeah, just Exactly using that kind of mentality to defend themselves in, in, in the business world and on the street, I guess. Yeah, and I think bringing the street to the business world was their claim to fame, right? And mm-hmm. so it only makes sense that they kept true to themselves in that regard as they progressed as artists, as they progressed as businessmen, I guess. Yeah. And as they saw their career flourish. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think it's kind of cool to see, you know, we see Ice Cube leave, we see him gain success. And then we see uh, inner, more inner conflict between the rest of NWA because I guess like NWA kind of made a diss track towards Ice Cube. Didn't hit as hard as yeah. Ice Cube's response, which is directly at every single member of NWA. Yeah. And tears them apart pretty much, like kills that verse. Like, um, I don't yeah. know what else to say really. And then the, the rest of NWA, uh, 
NWA ends up splitting up, mainly because of Jerry. Like, Dre ends up looking into the fact that Jerry's been screwing him over the whole time, and he tries to warn Eazy-E about it. Eazy-E, of course, still defends Jerry. Dre leaves and ends up joining up with Shug. Shug Nay, yeah. But, um, yeah, so he ends up joining up with Shug. But who was the fight? There was a fight between Lynch Lynch Mob, like Ice Cube's new group, and... It was NWA. It was the rest of NWA. Oh, that was the rest of NWA. Yeah. 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 So they meet up at like a music conference, like a new music conference. Just uh, right. That was after yeah. that. That was after he dissed them. That was after like basically Ice Cube told them a new one essentially. Yeah. Because it was a crazy verse, crazy, crazy uh, track. But um, yeah. So they get into altercation. There's clearly bad blood between Ice Cube, his crew, and the rest of NWA, which are yeah. his friends and like people he grew up with, pretty much. Yeah. So there's bad blood going around. Brawl. Basically, and then right in the airport or wherever that is. I think right after that is when Dre leaves, pretty much then. Yeah. Yeah. And then Dre leaves, and he joins up with Suge, who and it was a, it's a crazy like, dude. Yeah, seems like a dark guy in the beginning and becomes even darker later on. Suge Knight is like notoriously known as a very scary gentleman, very scary business. Uh, yeah. That figure. is one guy that definitely brought the street to the business world. Oh, definitely. Like, he... To the point where he's shaking people down, forcing them into signing contracts, doing all that kind of shit. Like, some really dirty stuff. And, uh... Well, he uses... Yeah, he's... He uses scare tactics. Exactly. Yeah. Scare tactics. 100%. I think he, you know, he uses violence to get what he wants, right? Yeah. And he does that towards Jerry. He does that towards Eazy-E and... Essentially, just to get Dre out of any old contracts, so he can have complete control over Dre and use him as a future recording artist, future producer, and kind of yeah. get other people started. And what was their group called again? Do you- Death Row. Death Row. Right? Death Row Records. Yeah. yeah. So that Death Row Records starts starts up, and they get Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg was one of the big first big uh, Death Row artists. Oh, and before yeah. that, the Chronic comes out. The yeah. Chronic comes out in '91, and I'm pretty sure that was one of the one of the first huge uh, releases for Death Row. Uh, so Dr. Dre starts, you know, he becomes a solo artist. He was just a producer before that, just behind the tables. Yeah. Probably a verse, a verse here and there, but, you know, not primarily a, an MC. Yeah. So he becomes a huge artist, essentially. The Chronic blows up. There's a scene of Easy rolling down Los Angeles, huge billboards of The Chronic, Dr. Dre's face all over the place. Yeah, and at that point, Easy e is, like, shedding a tear, wondering what happened to his life kind of thing, or what happened to his friends, what happened to NWA. He's having a weak moment. And, uh, yeah, so Death Row comes out. And shortly after that, um, we end up finding about... Well, we find out with DJ Yellow, right? Um, Bone Thugs and Harmony. That's when that starts yeah, coming to yeah, life. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. We, I think what we first find out is when um, uh, EZ kind of wants to meet up with uh, Cube. He knows that he's at a club. Right. He says, like you were saying, he's kind of realizing, like, what happened to my life? Like, man, what's going on? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, roughly five years after she had a Compton. You know, there's times past. He's kind of like, I want to see my old friend. You know, yeah. I want to, let's chat. So he's saying, hey, you know, I'm here with Bone Thugs. So that's cool. Yeah, we definitely, I guess, yeah, I'm a fan of Bone Thugs and Harmony. Those guys yeah. are awesome. I think it's cool to get those little snippets. Like, we get Snoop and uh, they... Tupac is even showing. Tupac shows like, up. Yeah, uh, it's cool. Yeah, it's uh, cool. P- that Public they... Enemy, Public Enemy's yeah. helping record with uh, Ice Cube. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess if you're a fan of like that era of gangster rap, this movie is gonna be for you totally because there's yeah. cool little Easter eggs and there's also definite nods to that era of music. Yeah, yeah. Some nice little tidbits in in there. Anyways, bef- I think this is probably a good time to take a break here, and when we come back, we'll summarize uh, well, our thoughts on Straight Outta Compton. Well. Probably continue talking about the third act a little bit. Yeah. We'll see where the film ends and kind of maybe talk about the legacy of NWA and where everything's at now and kind of how the music industry is views them. But yeah, we'll be back after the break. So catch you later. And we're back. All right. So we're going to finish up talking about the third act of Straight Outta Compton here. I think what kind of happens afterwards is we got Dr. Dre deciding, you know, my friend's sick. I'm getting sick of the industry I'm in right now. Suge Knight's kind of going crazy. The way things are rolling right now. Yeah, he wants to yeah. bring it back to 89. He, he wants does, to bring it back to, you know, the he, days of Ruthless Records. He sees Tupac grinding in the studio, making, you know, putting in work, doing what an artist should be doing. And he's like, I don't want to be part of this. And around the time that happens, we see Easy, Easy E getting sick. 
very sick. Mm-hmm. You don't really know why he's coughing a lot. That's kind of all they really show in terms of his illness. Yeah. But he's getting sicker and sicker. And also, you were saying he wants to bring back to 89. And we see that in the way that Dr. Dre, Easy e and Ice Cube all talk to each other about getting the old band back together. <laughs> they, yeah. want, they want to bring NWA back. They, well, want to, they want to bring it back to the basics for them. Something that might be worth bringing up is that when Easy e goes to the club to talk to Ice Cube, Ice Cube's happy to see him and all that kind of stuff, but Ice Cube is not down just to go with E. He wants the whole group there. He said, I'll go if Dre goes. Which I think probably Easy was expecting and probably yeah. wanted to, but wasn't right. too sure if it was a possibility. Exactly. Um, so yeah, you're like you're saying they decide. You know, Easy calls up Dre. He says, you know, this is what me and Cube are kind of talking about. Like, let's see if we can make this work again. Let's see if. I think they all were in a point in their lives where they had realized they're successful artists. They've reached a point of superstardom to a degree, but you know, they found more f- fulfillment and speaking the truth and working with their closest friends and working with honest honest material. Yeah. So they wanted to bring NWA back together and that's when Easy E collapses in the studio and we find out that he has HIV. Which is, I forgot that's how Easy passed away. I, I knew he had passed away before, you know, you know, there was other successes for these artists and obviously before this, this film was made. But um yeah, so like they they do spend a lot of time talking about him being sick and they spend a lot of time uh, elaborating on you know the dangers of mm-hmm. you know being a very living a very wild lifestyle, and I think you know this is maybe one of the reasons why we would say that this movie is almost focused on Easy E because there's so much time spent around um, uh, him and his death and his finding out of HIV, like when he finds out that he has HIV. Yeah, and him stuff and Jerry like that. too for majority. Yeah, of the him film. and Jerry, and so that's kind of the reason why. This movie is yeah they they, they hit it home in the third movie. act for sure it, it's, right. it felt that way for most of the film but and you know what that if Ice Cube himself and Dr Dre himself helped produce this movie then that makes sense yeah they the, would focus and that the movie much. was in memory 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 of him sorry so I yeah. mean they had intentions of you know putting a, a spotlight on his life and what happened to him yeah so he passes away and you know I think Dre realizes you know this is this is time for me to step down from death row. Hey, Shug, you can keep all the masters, keep everything. I don't want to have anything to do with this. Keep you know, the money, keep this, yeah. I'm starting anew, and so. kind of where that's where the film ends, and that's that's where the film ends, but that's not where, like, these characters end. That's not where these real people end, I think. Yeah, that's not where the story ends at all. No, no, no. Like, um, we see Ice Cube uh, writing Friday during this film, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Hashtag by Felicia. And then, uh, you know, <laughs> we, we get an idea that these guys have a lot more going on in their lives but it's funny like you said like these guys are producers so obviously like ice cube obviously included that part of him writing friday like oh this is funny yeah because like he was proud of himself for that right yeah and they do allude to him kind of being an actor he was in boys in the hood and then friday and yeah are we there yet are we done yet do they actually bring that up? They don't, but I did. <laughs> um, no, so yeah, they, but they do talk about their their future successes or projects they're working on during that time when the film's ending chronologically. Um, but yeah, Dr. Dre leaves Shug Knight's office. That's where the film ends, but like you said, that's not where the story ends, and that's where he yeah. eventually creates Aftermath Records, which in music history is a huge record label it's massive yeah it's massive now absolutely his most notable oh I would say overall most notable artist would be Eminem which mm. in terms of rap or popular music in general is like a giant force Snoop Dogg's definitely up there yeah definitely I think and we kind of see we see through this film Dr. Drake kind of becoming a mentor we see him becoming a mentor to Snoop a little bit to Pac yeah um, and that definitely becomes his role in music history as well, mm-hmm. for sure. Make, even today, uh, Kendrick Lamar. He discovered Kendrick Lamar. Now Kendrick Lamar is one of the biggest rap artists in the world, mm-hmm. if not one of the biggest artists in the world. And yeah. um, I think um, it just shows that Dre always had an ear for something good, right? Yeah, he had an ear for talent. He had an ear for you know Cube's lyrics. He had an, an ear for um, Easy es voice right like when he says in the studio early early in the movie like why don't you do it easy like why don't you jump in on this like why don't you this this song's about you no one in this room has a six four but you jump in on this track cruising in the sick cruising down the street in my six four. thank you same thing <laughs> no you're right i think 
Him having an ear for what sounds right is what made Dre become as successful as he is, right? I think, I mean, sure, you could kind of start to discredit a little bit of what is uh, portrayed in this film based on the fact that uh, Dre and Ice Cube were producers, but, I mean, if you followed any of these guys' careers, you know that that is still pretty true. A lot of these things Mm -hmm. did happen in, like... I don't know, some things might be glamorized here or there, like some like certain like assault allegations may have been glossed over a little bit, yeah. but um, I don't necessarily view that as a direct negative on the film as a whole. Them leaving that out, I think, is a little bit of a disservice because I think it helps the honesty of the film, or doesn't help the honesty of the film. That being said, I think the film does a great job of telling the stories of these of these. I guess three men, honestly, I'm going to say straight up. Like, they do talk about MC Ren and DJ Yellow, but not a lot. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so, Aftermath Records. That's huge. We got Dr. Dre, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, 50 Cent, which actually becomes part of Shady Records, but that's Shady Aftermath, subsidiary record company of Eminem's mm-hmm. record label. Anyways, so, a lot of stuff happens because of Dr. Dre. Huge, influential... Figure music eventually made beats by Dre, and then <laughs> <laughs> was bought by Apple. And um, oh, it's another great connection. This film actually is Dr. Dre's uh, partner with Beats, Jimmy Iovine, the CEO of Interscope Records, is also in this film. And that guy, the person they chose to play Jimmy Iovine, is awesome. Like they, the the costume they got for him is exactly Jimmy Iovine. If you ever see a picture of Jimmy Iovine, it's on point. Baseball hat, the dark sunglasses, it's exactly him. It's, yeah, it's totally him. It's um. That was really funny, actually, to see it. That was pretty. That was pretty well done. And then, yeah, like Ice Cube, kind of. I, he's not really a huge uh, figure in music, I would say lately. But you know, definitely in film, popular culture. CSI. That seemed to be what he wanted to move into. I mean, that's. Yeah. I think that was semi apparent in the movie that he was. He had said what he wanted to say as far as rap was concerned, as far as gangster rap was concerned, and yeah. so he was sort of moving towards different different mediums. I mean, like gangster rap made him do it, yeah. you know, so pretty much. <laughs> um, I guess uh, something may want to bring up is just kind of like the flaw, the faults in this film. Like, what, what are the what are mm-hmm. the huge flaws? Is there anything that kind of like stands out to you? <laughs> well, for me, um, we had talked about that riot scene earlier. Okay. And uh, how it was sort of like a, one of the most important parts of the movie. That was the peak of NWA. You know, it was, you know, it was, it was the ultimate chaotic situation. Like it was the point where the cops were as brutal and in NWA's face as they could be. And I kind of think they could have showcased it a little bit more okay. or not necessarily showcased the crew, but like, or showcased NWA and stuff like that. But they could have showcased the crowd a little bit more like how upset the crowd was because from what i remember and what i remember looking into and reading into as far as history is concerned was that that concert was wild it was crazy cop cars were being pushed over things were being burned like well there's gunshots that happened in the film but you don't really understand you don't get any elaboration on who the gunshots are directed towards or what even comes of that yeah exactly I would agree with that, honestly. I would. Yeah. So I, I think as important of a part as it was in the movie, it should have been maybe a little bit more. To, even if there was a minute extra of footage just right. around that scene, just to showcase, explain the bullets maybe, or figure out what was going on with the crowd. Like, I wanted to see more of the crowd because I knew that, that that concert really stirred up some shit with the people. Yeah. And they were really upset tipping over cars, lighting stuff on fire. Like, it was crazy. I think that also brings up a, another good point, just based on when they show NWA's success, it's only based on concerts, the two, the one tour. Right. But in reality, NWA was huge. Like, they show the odd, like, um, news anchor talking about them, but not only not o- only in the credits or do we see a clip of them in the White House. <laughs> like, right. NWA was a huge figure in popular culture, and I think... It is elabor- it is it is mentioned and elaborated to a degree in the film, but I think not to the extent to really drive home how important they were. Mm-hmm. I think this film does a great job of dr- showing how important these characters are to the film and to the viewer, but not necessarily as a group. Yeah, and I think that kind of does a disservice to making them important on their own, especially in Easy E's perspective, because yeah. he seems like a very down and out character, which he was to a degree, but he was so successful. Yeah, sure. it's less of what happened. 
like it's less about what happened to the world what happened to uh in as a result of their music and more or less what happened to them as people because of like okay, you know yeah. it, was, it was more on a personal basis right it was more like oh this happened to dre so where's dre's at where is dre at now kind of thing and the, and the same thing for easy and the same thing for right. ice cube but it talked a lot less about or it showed a lot less about what was going on in the world like just brief instances, you got a glimpse, but you didn't really see a whole lot of influential moments that they had other than that, I'd say. I think you're right. I think they could have easily spent more time talking about their real world influence. And I think, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's there's certain aspects of this film that definitely strike me as strong in terms of character development, especially the first act, like we were talking earlier, how each character is introduced. I think it's done really well, and they intertwine um, each character in a cool way, but... As their characters develop, it kind of goes back and forth, especially in Dre's character, where it's like, he's a ladies' man, but he's also really a kind ladies' man. Mm -hmm. He's cool. But then out of nowhere, he thinks Suge Knight's cool. But then he's like, oh, wait, Suge Knight's a bad guy. So there's a scene that just feels so out of place for me, where he's driving away from Suge Knight's studio, or I guess Death Death Row Records, and he's just speeding down an L.A. freeway, gets pulled over by cops, it ends up being a car chase that lasts about two minutes, and it just yeah. But it isn't when it, when he's the funniest part is is when he's in the studio complaining to Shug Knight about all the stupid shit he's doing. We could have done we could have been doing stupid shit where we were at before. Like why are we we started music to get away from all that stupid shit. So why are we still doing stupid shit? And then he leaves the studio and does some stupid shit. Yeah, so it makes no sense. Yeah. It's so out of place. It feels very forced to drive home the fact that like there's chaos in his life and. The studio, yeah. the studio scene said that enough for me, and I don't mm-hmm. think that was necessary. It took me out of the film a lot, and I guess this is one thing I think we kind of disagree on. But I think every time uh, the actor who plays Ice Cube, who by the way is actually uh, his son, played by uh, O'Shea Jackson, which is Ice Cube's real life son, every time he raps in concert, I can tell it's Ice Cube and not him, and it really takes me out of the moment. And when everyone else is performing. Even though they're still shown, even though the audio is still the real life track, it's kind of is cut smoother. Maybe that was an editing choice, or maybe that was just the actor's portrayal. But it felt really weak for me. And actually, sorry, I hate to keep <laughs> bugging you, O'Shea Jackson, but there's also a scene where Easy E is in the hospital, and Doctor Doctor Dre goes to visit him, and they have a pretty heartfelt moment, and he's just kind of talking to his friend on his deathbed, and he comes out of the hospital room and. He sees uh, Ice Cube come out, and Ice Cube is just gives this deadpan, emotionless, like, "Oh, is my buddy okay? Is everything?" Yeah, the delivery on? was pretty poor on that like drive home scene where Easy is basically almost dead. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's like I get it, like it's a sad moment. Like, I don't, I don't think the acting in this film is necessarily bad, but for a scene that kind of is in need of a strong emotion and delivery, it was noticeably weak. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I I agree with you you on that for sure. I think was, I think majority of these majority of these actors I think are pretty pretty fantastic. A lot of them are kind of no names as well. And I think we were talking about uh, character choices or actor choices based on characters, and I think that was good overall. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a little bit there's a level of depth that I think is very apparent during the second uh, the second half or the first half of this film. The second act, I should say. It's very apparent in the second act when we're talking more about like race relations and the impact of NWA and how that is kind of affecting the real world based on their music. And that mm-hmm. kind of is kind of like near the end of when Fuck the Police comes out and things like that. Yeah. And I think that's a really high point for the film. But the third act just feels very forced in terms of character development that I don't think is strong enough at that time in the film. Yeah. Especially in Easy E's point of view, because he comes so down on himself, and he eventually, you know, is getting angry at his girlfriend, and he kind of, you know, has to come to terms with the fact that Jerry was screwing him over the whole time. And to me, it felt like, to me, it felt like Easy E's character was just getting so much screen attention, but we already knew his development. There was nothing mm-hmm. more to be said. Yeah, I don't know. That might be a bit of a nitpick, but I felt that way definitely when I was rewatching. Yeah. yeah, I uh, I also have a little bit of a nitpick. Like as far like we were talking about the character choice selection, especially for um, 
like uh, body movements, body language and stuff like yeah. that was excellent in this movie, except for MC Ren, in my opinion. Oh yeah. Like he was a goof kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And am, am I crazy? But does MC Ren in the movie just sound a lot, have a lot deeper voice? Because it seems way deeper to me. Okay. Yeah. Than, I, than, I think than so. in real life. I could see that. So, like, th- I noticed it just vaguely. It didn't bug me that much because MC Ren is not necessarily in the movie that much. Well, I mean, he's prominent. He's, he's, he's there. prominent character. I mean, yeah, he's a yeah. prominent character, obviously. But, For sure. You know, he's, uh, the story, like we said, the really core group in this movie is Cube, Eazy-E, and, and uh, Dr. Dre. Right. And, like, do you think that it has something to do with the fact that Dr. Dre and uh, Ice... Ice Cube produces film? It could. Maybe just because they want to tell their story or their version of events a little bit more. Like, then again, they can't get... It's impossible to get Easy es opinion, but... Um, yeah, wow. Sure is. Anyways, I think... I think you're right about that. I think there is a good... There's a large amount of time spent on those three characters, so when we do get introduced to MC Ren and DJ Yellow throughout the film, it, could, it would have been nice if they had more development, and it would have been nicer if... They seem flesh more fleshed out because yeah. you're right. There are there are points where they come off kind of weak, and I think yeah, it seemed like they we just don't weren't a part of that group as much. You know no. what I mean? And, and I think they were very much a huge part of the group. Like in, no, in they didn't have as much success afterwards as the other three did, and but I don't think that discredits what they stood for and what they accomplished. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, you know, especially D- D- DJ Yellow, he was there from the beginning. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, I agree. MC Ren, matter of fact, was there with with Eazy E when Eazy E joined in, was he not? Right, no, he completely was, and yeah, that's kind of I guess um, that's kind of what I'm trying to talk about when the characters are introduced. I feel like the development is like hits hits it hard home, and it's done in a very smooth and non intrusive way. But near the end, I feel like they almost kind of uh, there's nothing less to de- nothing left to develop. Like they should have been exactly things they should have been talking about. Maybe some would be like. You know, what was happening around them? What was happening right. as a result of their actions? I think it wouldn't have... Talk it, about it, what they really accomplished in the end. It wouldn't so. have hurt to have a couple scenes with just MC Ren or a couple scenes with just DJ Yellow. Yeah, Even if exactly. they in it together or whatever, like, just to bundle them together for the sake of a, a good three-minute scene, I think that would have been yeah. fine. Like, the, the, the most you ever see of DJ Yellow, really, is when he's talking about... he. When he's going to talk to Easy E before, when he finds out that Easy E is really sick, right, and he yeah. drops off that Bone Thugs and Harmony tape, right? Yeah, and he's it, like, yeah, listen, listen. That was the most you saw of DJ Yellow. And really. they're very sad, you know, they're friends on their deathbed. But like, at that point, it, like I said, it just feels it feels forced. Yeah. And I don't think the rest of the film feels that way. Like as a whole, I don't think the characters feel forced. But near the end, it does. I feel like they mm-hmm. try to hit that emotional chord with you. And it, it works to a degree, definitely, and I think it's good to tell that story, and it's good to get a, you know, get the whole story of what happened, right? But yeah, I would agree, man. I think they definitely are a little bit lazy with those two characters, yeah. especially well, MC Ren. And I and I appreciate the fact that they do want to, you know, give a lot of attention to Easy's death. Obviously, he was a huge part of NWA. Yeah. However, I think that there was other people that were a huge part, and there was other things that happened as a result that were worth talking about and towards the end of the movie. True. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I think I think that starts to become a fault in the third act, but the first two acts definitely do a great job of having all the characters involved. Yeah. Yeah, I would say. Absolutely. And I I'm that being said, I think overall I, I really did enjoy this film. Yeah. I think it's I think it's a good watch. I think if you're a fan of just music in general, you'll get something out of this. And I think it's a good it's an overall a good time, but I have a question for you, man. Like how do you feel about like biopics, like music biopics? Like Walk the Line or yeah. like Notorious or I kind of love them. It, it, I kind of do too. It lends fun. a certain visual to us, uh, you know, something that you would only read in an article. Definitely. Right. Yeah. And uh, you know, that's that's a really nice touch. Yeah. Or Inside Lewin Davis. That's a cool film too. I think I always had a soft spot for Walk the Line. You mm-hmm. know, Absolutely. Joaquin kills it in that yeah. film. Um, Walk Hard: The Story of Dewey Cox is also <laughs> a good one. It's a great one. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think in terms, like, I think the biopic is a as a genre that we see a lot, but the music biopic we don't get terribly often. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's usually has to do often with like a passing of, of a musical, uh, uh, figure. Yeah. And let's talk about just like how long, you know, these, these tracks have held on, like how long a straight Edge Compton and oh. fuck the police held on. Like people's like, you know, still I still listen to, to that to, to this day. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Those are, I, that, those are iconic records. Like I think, 
they, they stand the testament of time, testament of time, and that's why this film is as effective as it is. Yeah, and that's, and why, that's it why it can reach is, a new audience. Yeah, exactly, and that's why it is as popular as it is, right? And I think it also just proves why their music meant something then, because it it wasn't a flash in the pan, it wasn't of the time, it was of a movement, it was of an emotional impact that people still feel to this day. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's injustices that still happen that are similar to what was going on then. Right. And that's it's, why it's those still kind relatable. Of, yeah. yeah, it's still relatable. That's why this film, I think, is still accessible to a wide, large, our sort of large audience of people. Mm-hmm. And I think because of that, we, I don't know, I don't, I don't necessarily relate, but I think I can definitely uh, view this as something that like can impact me emotionally, and I think can definitely take a certain period of time and put me there and put me in and engross me in that experience. Yeah. Like it's easy, it's easy to see and appreciate, you know, all the hardships that these guys went through and, and what they came out of and, and what they did for other people in similar situations Right. and how it's improved. And the fact that it's still relatable today means that, you know, obviously it's not perfect. No, I think, I th- yeah, I think you're totally right, man. Yeah. And I think they did a great job of telling the story of, NWA, Eazy-E, Dr. Dre, uh, Ice Cube. Especially the come to. Definitely the come to. And I think this is a story that was, I think, deserved to be told. I mean, I don't think, I think a lot of music history gets retold here and there. And I think a lot of just iconic moments get retold, especially in film. There's a lot of remakes and a lot of rehashes and a lot of based on true stories that happen a lot in film, almost on a weekly basis in terms of releases. So it wasn't a shock to me that this story was going to be told. And I think it's a story that needed to be said. And I, I don't know. I had a great time. I think Shredder Compton was a pretty fun movie. Yeah. Um, overall, absolutely. I mean, I had no real problems with it. Like, we had some gripes. And I think there could have been a couple things here and there that could have been improved on. But overall, it was a good time. Yeah, the movie as a whole was, is, 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 is pretty fantastic. I, I think the mass, mass public kind of feels the same way. Yeah. The majority of people I talked to had a good time with this movie. Especially fans. That, if you're a fan of N.W.A., or uh, any of the other artists featured yeah, in this film, love, you're going to love it. Yeah. You really will. And 100%. it's fun to see them. It's fun to see people portray these characters, and it's it's fun to see the live concerts. Those are some of the coolest scenes. They're yeah, so, exactly. You feel like they're so you're rowdy. There. Yeah. They're so like you feel that energy. Like you get like the everyone's like singing the lyrics out loud. Like you you understand that like that's a movement that was meant to happen. That was something that people really connected with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think uh, that's probably all of our thoughts here on uh, Straight Outta Compton. Uh, next week on the cast, we're going to have Paul Blart Mall Cop 2. Paul Blart Mall Cop 2, one of our all-time favorite movies. Guys, as always, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all that other fantastic stuff, including SoundCloud. And don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. You guys take it easy. Have a good week.